0: As you can see, my message today says partnership with God. And then it says the dream is free, but the journey isn't, you know? How many can say amen to that? It's free to dream. You know what? And I do it all the time. I sit at my chair in my office, and I kind of lean back. I put my dreamer on, and I'm gone. Dreaming is free, and I can dream up some pretty spectacular stuff, right? I'm a good dreamer. But then there's a time when, you know, those dreams that God's put in your heart, something's got to be done in order to see them fulfilled. And that's why, you know, the dream is free, but the journey, it's going to cost you something. You're going to have to invest something. You're going to have to to do something. Notice it says the journey. It doesn't say salvation is going to cost something. No, salvation is free. But the journey we take in the kingdom, you know, Jesus says, you know, lay it all down before me. Give your life over to me. I have things I want to do with you, and that's what we want to talk about this morning. Um, This is kind of a follow-up to the message I did at the end of August, but then we had a couple of guest speakers in and stuff, and I didn't get back to it. So uh, by design, uh, God's design, uh, we have a divine human partnership, and it's essential to human flourishing. If we don't see that our life is a partnership with God, we don't flourish as a people. We will only flourish as a people when we see that this is a divine human partnership. All right. Some, some churches are so focused on the sovereignty of God that it's all Him. right? And then some churches are so focused on individual autonomy that we miss that, that God has to go before us. But there's a partnership that God's called us to. And He wants us to understand that we are called to work together. remember a few weeks ago I said God has a vision, and the vision of God was to establish a place, the earth, where his image and his glory would be replicated, that's you and I, man and woman, and would have dominion. That was God's plan. I have news for you, it's not changed. He established it in Genesis chapter 1, hasn't changed his mind on it, he hasn't got a backup plan, he isn't going to get rid of the human race and start with another kind of race. No, no, we are the plan. Now, you know, sin entered into the equation. God didn't get caught off guard by that right from the beginning when he made us. Still had the plan. And Jesus was to come and he was to give his life on the cross to kill and destroy the old man, the sin in us. And in so doing, reestablish the plan. The plan. Everybody say the plan. The plan. He wanted to re-establish the plan. And we have to understand that that's, a lot of people say, you know, You know, I I just don't understand what, what God wants to do with me. He wants you to help fulfill His plan. Get involved, get on board with His vision. I mean, it's a kingdom vision. What does God want you to do? He wants you involved in His kingdom vision. So, God wanted earth to be a place where His kingdom reigned through, through who? His children. Where every created thing would be under His authority by being under the authority of His children. This was God's plan. It's still his plan. He hasn't changed his mind. He's still pretty focused on this plan, getting it done through us. And so when we disengage from culture, when we back out of the realms of of medicine and science and education and and entertainment and all of those realms, and we back out of them, we are backing away from God's plan for us to engage our world. Hello? Hello? We're backing away from God's plan. And then I mentioned how God is vulnerable to our desires. This is where we get talking about how, you know, this dream, this plan that God has is a partnership. The covenant friends of God throughout history, Bill Johnson says, all seem to have a common awareness of God's expectation that they be involved in the demonstration of his will, influencing the outcome of a matter. So, does God know the beginning from the end? Yes. But he has set it up so that we are involved in the process of determining that outcome. He is not interested in doing it all by himself. He's interested in doing it through us. Are you hearing me? If that wasn't his plan, then he would simply redeem people and then take them to glory. He leaves us here because he wants to work through us. Someone say amen. And we need to understand this. We need to get this into our spirit. The true child of God is part of the family of God, and together they exchange dreams with the Father that will change the world. This is God's plan for us. And there's so much more I could say about that. If you, if you didn't get to hear that message, then uh, make sure you go back. It's uh, August, last Sunday in August, August 26, 27, something like that. It's, uh, I checked yesterday. It is uh, uploaded and on the uh, church app. Just go there. There it is. And then you'll be able to uh, see and hear that, I should say, be able to hear that message. So, today what I want to talk about is what does that partnership uh, look like? And, and, and do we have biblical examples of it? And, and how uh, do we uh, do that? And I want to look at the person of Gideon in the scripture. And uh, Gideon's an interesting story. How many know the story of Gideon? Right? You guys know that story? And it's a fascinating, fascinating uh, story that we have in scripture in the life of Gideon. Gideon had this army of 32,000 men and he was going up against an army of 135,000. How many of you know that's a big number? And he's already outnumbered, right? Significantly outnumbered, like four to one plus. He's outnumbered, seriously outgunned, all right? And so he's going up with his little uh, 32,000 up against an army of 135,000. People, 135,000 soldiers. And, uh, you know, the Midianites had, had amassed a great army to come and to wipe out uh, Israel and their people. And so he got this army together. He so said, We got to stand up. And you got to remember this before there were kings. This, you know, Gideon's is one of the judges. He's trying to pull the different tribes to work together to try and create a, a collective force. He manages to get eight, 32,000 soldiers together. And then God says, That's too many. Pardon? God speaks to Gideon and says, too many. 32,000 is too many. He says, I, I, you know, I, I don't want you going up against uh, the Midianites with 32,000. Uh, That's just too many. And, uh, and this is what he actually said to him. He said, and I want to reduce that number in order that Israel may not boast against me that her own strength saved her. So God's saying, I want to reduce the number from 32,000 down, and I want to get a smaller number because I want you to know it was, it was a supernatural partnership that you didn't say you did it on your own, that you did it in your own strength. Are you getting this this morning? Yeah. And so first thing he does is he says, now, ask any guy who's afraid to go home. Now, if you're about to go fight an army that's four times your size, how many know you might just be shaking in your boots? Right? So he says, I want anybody, anybody who's afraid, go home. So 22,000 of them go home. They just turn around and say, Okay, I'm out of here. <laughs> you, know? you know? And they boogie out of there. They're gone. Right? They're just gone. And he's left with 10,000. And Gideon's thinking, Okay, well, this is, this is a, a huge task, Lord. And God says, Still got too many. What? too many still 10,000 is too many i'm going up against 135,000 nope still too many want you to take them down to the to the waterfront and then he says and and all of the ones that get down on their hands and their knees and put their head right down the water send them home i only want you to keep the ones that get down on one knee scoop the water up with their hand and lap it out of their hand like a dog those are the only ones that are worthy to be kept so, you know, Gideon's like, please, all of you, all of you, just kneel. You know, just everybody do it this way. No, no, they go down. Only 300 actually drop down, scoop the water up so they can kind of make, I get the impression it was so that they're the like keen ones. They're always looking around, always prepared, and they're like, like that. And he goes, those are the only ones I want you to keep. How many has he got left? 300. God says, that's better. That's better. You got, we got the number down where I'm comfortable with it now. I'm, you're sufficiently outnumbered that nobody's going to brag you did it on your own. All right? Got the number down where I'm comfortable with it now, 300. Yeah, with your 300, Gideon, you can go. Now, Gideon's like, I, I'm sure if you were Gideon, if I was Gideon, I'd be freaking out right now. And I think he was freaking out a little bit. So if you read the story, right, God says to Gideon the night before the battle, he said, I want you to go down to the camp, sneak down, and I want you to listen to what they're talking about. So Gideon does, he goes down, he listens, and he hears them talking, and one guy has a dream, and he has a dream that this loaf of bread comes down and, and lands into their village and crushes everybody, and they're like, and, and everybody's decimated, and the other guy interprets a dream, and he says, yeah, he said, the Israelites are going to come down, and they're going to destroy us, and Gideon's like, God really is going to, you know, partner with us to get her done. So he goes back, says, guys, we're good to go. We're good to go. They're already scared. We're good to go. So then God does the final whammy. All right? How many hands do you guys have? Same with me. I've only got two. Uh, only got two. What a coincidence. Only have two. And he says to the, to, the, to the 300 that are left, okay, guys, here's what I want you to do. He said, I want you to put into one hand a ram's horn and in the other hand a clay lantern that you've got a cover over, Right? And I want you to advance on the enemy, and then when I give the signal, I want you to smash the clay pot lid so they can see your torch after we've surrounded them, and I want you to blow your ram's horn. Guess what? Both of their hands are full, and they're not full with a sword. They're not holding a shield. They're not holding any implements of war. They've got a torch, and they've got a ram's horn. And he says, and then I want you to blow that thing, and watch what I do. So they're like, Okay. They go down there, and Gideon gives the signal, smash, all of a sudden the light of it, and they blow the horn, and, and, the, and the Bible says the Gideonites go crazy. They stand up, they're so freaked out, they don't, they're, they're so astounded by it, they said, Israel has is come to destroy us, and they get up with the sun, and they start killing each other. They're running around so confused, they're killing guys that, they're, that are actually there to fight with them, and before you know it, the enemy has been routed, and they win. Without having to lift a sword. It's one of the greatest victories in military history 300 against 135,000. Pretty amazing. Pretty amazing. And that is how it happened. That is how it happened. The victory hinged upon this, though the twofold faith of Gideon's men. Twofold faith. They trusted their Lord, and they trusted their general. They trusted God, and they had a partnership with Him as well. They knew, that they, knew they had to, at some point, we got to put our trust in God, but we also have to put our trust in where we're going as a people. we got to trust our general, and we got to trust each other. Are you hearing me this morning? And we see those two walking hand in hand in this story. You know, I have people come to me, and they ask me this question a fair bit. They say, why doesn't God work today as He did in the Bible? Anybody ever been asked that question before? Come on, be honest. Somebody you know at work, or somebody that's not a believer, or or maybe they're a new believer, but they'll say, why doesn't God work today as he did in the Bible? Why don't we see that? How many would like to know the answer to that? I'm going to tell you. Charles Spurgeon said this about this story. He said, if we only cry the sword of the Lord, then we will be guilty of idle presumption. And if we shout, the sword of Gideon, alone, then we shall manifest adulterous reliance on the arm of the flesh. We must blend the two in practical harmony, the sword of the Lord and of Gideon. And that is the cry that went up from the army of Israel. They said, the sword of the Lord and of Gideon. And Charles Spurgeon was making a point. If we are just looking, if we're sitting back in our pew and we're just waiting for God to do it all, then we're missing what a partnership's all about. And on the other hand, if we're saying, no, God, I got this. Don't need your help. We know you're a little too busy that you did things supernaturally in the Old Testament and and in the first uh, 10, 30 years of the New Testament with the Acts of the Apostles. But after that, you're taking a vacation. You worked pretty hard. Now it's your time off, so we got this. Both of those, Charles Spurgeon is saying, are, are wrong. Instead, we need to understand that God has created a divine partnership for us to engage in, that it's the sword of the Lord, and it's our sword. Someone say amen. Amen. God wants us to put those two, marry those two together. That's what God's looking for. Partnership. We're to trust God to do what only He can do, then join Him by doing what only we can do. Are you getting that this morning? It's a partnership. It's a partnership. And if we don't see it as a partnership, then I, I'm telling you right now, we are not going to see the supernatural intervention of God. Over the years I've been asked this question, and, uh, and I've had to say to myself, you know, the Bible says in several places that God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. God does not change. He's not a liar, right? He keeps His word. How many know that? I mean, we could go over the Scriptures, but they're there right? And uh, God's nature doesn't change. Human nature doesn't really change either. Without the redemptive power of Jesus, we're what? The Bible says your righteousness is about as good as a filthy rag. That's just what it tells us, plain and simple. So our need for God hasn't changed. God's power hasn't changed. Then why don't we see things happen supernaturally? It isn't like all of a sudden we're such great people, we no longer need His help. No, why don't we see it? Well, there are three reasons why I believe we don't see God work today as we did in the New Testament, and I'm going to show it to what they are. Uh, First of all, we don't see it because we miss the fact that God works in ways we don't see. We don't see it because we're not open and we're not aware of all that God's doing. We have not fine-tuned our spirit to see and behold all that God's doing. God's been teaching me this. I look at my children. I'm a pastor, and I have three kids that that love and serve the Lord. And I talk to all these other pastors whose kids rebelled and walked away from God. And you know what? And I never sit back and go, man, I'm a good parent. Oh, Kev, you did an amazing job. Woo! Mm. Good thing Sherry married me because, man, I got game. You know what I'm saying? Never think that. Instead, I say, Lord, I'm thankful that you move in spite of me and not because of me. I am so captivated by the fact that my God has been working in my kids' lives in ways I can't see, and if I get thinking it's all about me, I miss what God has been doing in their lives, and I have convinced myself that there's a partnership going on, and I need his help, and he wants me to engage in it as well. So similarly, folks, though, You know, don't just send your kids to to youth or send your kids off to church and you sit home, you know, flicking the remote and doing nothing and never have time when you talk with your kids about God, never engage with your family, never, uh, you know, participate with them in the things of the Spirit. No, no, it's a partnership. Hello? And when we do that, we see God do great things. God is working in this world. We may not see it in North America, but, you know, it's happening around the world. The 17 largest churches in the world are not in North America. You know, we think the great North American missionaries going out to save the world and the largest churches, the top 17 are all in other countries. They're not in Canada the United States. Are you hearing me? The largest church in the States is one-tenth of the size of the largest church in the world. And the largest church in Canada is a quarter of the size of the largest one in the states. Are you hearing me? I'm talking, you know, are you saying that megachurches are the answer? I'm not saying that at all. I'm just saying that God's doing something, and just because we haven't seen it in our back door don't mean it ain't happening. Are you hearing me this morning? God is doing great things. And he wants to remind us he's still working supernaturally and in biblical ways, we have just not always fine-tuned to be able to see it. That's the first thing. Second thing, God works where he is expected. Philip Yancey said this, he said, as I travel and also read church history, I've observed a pattern, a strange historical phenomenon of God moving geographically from place to place, from the Middle East to Europe to North America to the developing world. And my theory is this. God goes where he's wanted. God goes where he's wanted. Why is God moving in the developing world today? Because they want him. It's as simple as that. They want God. Why are they seeing supernatural intervention? Why are they seeing miracles? Because they want them. They're hungry for them. And the responsibility, I'm convinced of this as well, the responsibility for miraculous, supernatural acts of God in our presence is collective and not just individual. You know, we put all the pressure on the individual who's believing for a miracle and not realizing it's collective. We need to join our faith together, and in the environment, and the atmosphere of collective faith, God moves. And he's proving it, the way he's working in the rest of the world. The developing world is on fire with the gospel of Jesus Christ. I mean, on fire, God moves where he is expected, amen? And I've traveled to a lot, I've been privileged to go to a lot of places, preach the gospels in a lot of countries, and the supernatural things that I see happen are are unprecedented, and why do we see them because the people want them they 're hungry for God to do something great, and then they 're not surprised when it happens because they believe for it and it happened. all right hear me this morning so number one why don 't we see it like in the New Testament days? because we miss it we don't we 're not fine-tuned to, to recognize all that God's doing around us. Number two, because God moves where he's expected. God works where he's expected. And the final reason, are you ready for this? Is because God works through partnership with him. This is the third reason why we don't see the supernatural today, here in North America, like we see it in the New Testament biblical time. Because it's through partnership. It's through partnership. Remember, God spoke to Noah, told him that flood was coming. Noah built an ark. Who built the ark? Noah. Took him like years, people. Mocked by his neighbors and everything else, he kept building that thing on dry land. Dry land. This monstrous thing on dry land. I mean, the mocking the dude must have taken was unbelievable. But he partnered with God. He heard from the Lord. God, God was the one that's going to bring the rain. God's going to do the, the supernatural uh, in that side. But Noah had to build the ark, right? Moses raised his staff and the Red Sea parted. Moses threw his staff in the ground and it turned into a serpent. Moses struck the river Nile, turned to blood. Moses did all the things God told him to do. We had a partnership going on here. And then when he got to the Red Sea and Pharaoh's army coming up behind him and the sea not able to be crossed and he held up his his staff and, and pointed at the sea, it just parted. And they walked through. Did God do it? Yes. But he had to do it through an individual who had the faith that God is going to show up. When the priest stepped into the Jordan River, the Bible says that the river piled way upstream for them, and they were able to cross supernaturally. But they had to, at first, step out, and not until their feet touched the edge of the river did it dry up. And then they started to walk through on dry ground. Peter had to get up on Pentecost, and the craziest moment of his life never saw anybody speak in tongues before in his life, and he had to get up and explain it. Now, that is a tough assignment, all right? And he had up, and here's a sermon. What, what's it? I mean, I always wanted to preach this sermon. These people are not drunk like you think they are. That was a sermon, right? These people are not drunk as you think they are, but they are filled with the Holy Ghost. Oh, that the Lord is moving some Sunday in here in such a way. That people are coming in off the streets because they see the fire on top of the building. And they come in here and people are just wasted in the Holy Ghost. And I have to stand up and say, these people are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only 11 in the morning. They are just filled with the Holy Ghost. I want that. Hallelujah. That would be a good Sunday for this guy. That would be a good Sunday. That would be a smoking hot day, I'm telling you, right there. Wow. It would be awesome. Paul instructed the church, and and he spread the gospel throughout the whole Asian minor world. I mean, the Bible, Paul lists off all the stuff he endured, shipwrecked and bitten by snakes and all kinds of stuff. He went through it all, and he partnered with God to get the job done. Wrote letters to people that didn't like him. Uh, he, He sent off instruction. He trained the body of Christ. He did all this stuff, partnership with God. The final reason we do not see the miracles in North America as they did in the New Testament is because we've forgotten that God works through partnership. Can I just be blunt what that means? You've got to get off your butt. Are you hearing me? It, it, church, it's not going to happen by osmosis. You know that process where you lay your head down on the pillow and you put a book underneath it, and in the morning you think it's all going to be in your head? You know? It doesn't work that way. I mean, the world is not going to get changed through passivity. It's not going to get changed through us sitting around just hoping that it gets better, just praying that it gets better. Sometimes you got to put legs to your prayers. Sometimes you got to get out of the closet and you have to engage your world. Are you hearing me? And I believe this is the time. I think we're at a crossroads as a culture. Church has been in the closet for about the last 50, 60 years, maybe 100 years. We've been hiding. And we've been disengaging from every major sphere of the world. And the the world has just said, okay, well, there's nobody who's going to tell us any different. We're going to do this, and we're going to do that, we're going to do this. And we've watched it erode, and then we sit back and criticize it. Oh, the world's just going to hell in a handbasket. Right? Why is it going that way? Because we walked out of it. We go to work and we never tell anybody that we believe in Jesus Christ. They tell their filthy jokes and we just laugh and go, oh, that's so funny, you're such a funny guy. We hear about the guy you know, or the gal having an affair, we don't say anything. We watch people going out and getting loaded every weekend and we don't tell them there's more to life. Are you hearing me? We're just, we've got to engage our world again. I spoke to the youth on Wednesday night about the gospel according to Chris Pratt, and I'm not, I don't know Chris Pratt, I just know that he's been pretty vocal about his faith recently, and so I did a little bit of research, I don't know too much about him, I don't know if he's a really great Christian or, or what he is, I don't know, I just know that he's been telling a lot of people about his faith, right? And, uh, and I, so I found out that he, how he came to the Lord is he was standing around outside a Safeway waiting for his buddies to show up, and they were going to go out and get uh, loaded and uh, party all night long, as they used the term. And this guy just walked up to him, and he says, "Uh, suppose you're waiting around to get drunk or stoned tonight? And he goes, I hope so. And then he says, well, he says, I just wanted you to know, he said that God has bigger things in store for you. And he said, pardon? And the guy said, God's got bigger things in store for you, and if you'd like, I'd like to tell you all about it. His friends show up, and he says, no, you guys go ahead. I'm going to go talk to this guy. And this guy was from Jews for Jesus, Uh, and he just was out just sharing his faith. And Chris Pratt came to faith. The next day, thing you know, in a couple days, he's volunteering for Jews for Jesus. His whole life turned around, and this is where he is today. And the more his platform seems to advance, the more popular he becomes, the more choosy he's able to get with roles that he plays in, and the more vocal he becomes with his faith. Well, if he's a Christian, if he's a good Christian, he wouldn't be in Hollywood. I disagree. If he's a good Christian, he'd be in any sphere that God calls him to, and he would shift that atmosphere for the glory of God. That's it, right there in a nutshell. <sighs> Time to get off the bench, folks. Let me just conclude with this. I think a lot of times we're waiting on God and God's waiting on us. And this cosmic thing, this cosmic dance has been going on way too long. God's ready. He'd done his part. He's ready. I think if you look at that equation, do you think God's at fault? Anybody think God's at fault? Because if you do, let's talk about that after service, because we know that's not the case. So I think it's, he's waiting on us. He's waiting on us to actually engage our world. Actually engage our world. And you know what? And you don't have to be a dork about it. You don't have to be mean. You don't have to be critical. You don't have to find the biggest social environment or social issue of the day and just start slamming into that thing all you have to do is go out and actually love people with the love of Christ you find somebody who's hurting and you help them you find somebody who's who's down and you pour hope into them and you become a dispenser as Barry and I like to say you become a dealer in hopium everywhere you go that's what God's called you to right to be somebody who's doing that every single day of your life that is what God is looking for So, the dream is indeed free, but the journey isn't. God's calling you to get engaged. God's calling you to get off the bench. God's calling you to to, to advance His kingdom. Are you hearing me today? Now to Him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly beyond, beyond all that we can ask or think, that's the dream, according to the power that works in us that's the journey right to him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever amen amen are right, you hearing me this morning let's stand together praise the lord We are at a critical time as a culture. The cultures never looked less like Jesus that I can think of. I mean, I'm, in my lifetime anyway. I'm sure in periods past, there were times when maybe it looked a lot less like Jesus than it even looks now. When lawlessness was in the land and all the rest of it. But certainly in my lifetime, I don't think it's any, looked any less like Jesus. But that means it's poised It's poised to receive. That the fact that it's never looked less like Jesus means that we have a fresh message to bring them. They're not going to say to you, been there, done that, got the t-shirt. Because the reality is most of them have not been there, not done that, and don't have the t-shirt. Are you hearing what I'm saying? We have a culture that is ripe for the gospel of Jesus Christ. We have people that are more stressed and more worked up and more uh, than you can possibly imagine. I I read a, a poll done by Harvard University this past uh, you know number of months. They concluded and published the, the the results of it, and they discovered you know this is what's amazing. They discovered that faith has a profoundly positive influence in a young person's life. Isn't that something? that young people who were engaged in a community of faith and who went to church and participated in those things were like something like 33% less uh, apt to be depressed, uh, that they were more giving, they were more involved in uh, you know, social uh, charities and organizations, that it changed the world. And at the end of the thing, it says, it says, we've concluded that maybe some of these traditional things are actually really positive for the human spirit. Do you think? So when we've got the secular, one of the most secular universities now in the nation telling you that probably this is a good thing, some of these traditional things of faith, they're actually really good. Hello! Time to wake up. What you've got is not just good, it's great. That's why the Bible calls it the good news. It's time to share it. Time to share it, amen? I want you to raise your hands to the Lord this morning. Just kind of lift them up to Him. I'm sorry, I know time's gone, it's quarter two, but in my defense, I didn't get the microphone until like, you know, 11 this morning, so, and then I had to do announcements, so it's not my fault, (laughs) but I will take responsibility, Uh, but uh, Father, we just lift our hands to you today and we say, Jesus, say this with me, Jesus, I give myself fresh to you today, I am your son. your daughter daughter. I am am called I am am purposeful purposeful. in my life I I will will. go from this place place. and engage engage. my world my My job my My environment environment. with the love of Jesus Jesus. I will will. pray for those in need need. I I will give hope To the hopeless, I will will get involved. involved. My time time on the bench bench is over. over. And I declare this today today. by faith faith. I will not be found found a liar. liar. In Jesus' name. name. Amen. 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 oh yeah this Friday night or no Saturday night is it Saturday yeah we got the comedy show going on do you know what I found out we've got like 75 to 100 tickets sold online already for this thing so get them up I mean if you haven't bought one yet they told me the other day in an email they said we've sold like 75 of these things online and I don't know how many we sold here but there's gonna be a good crowd you don't want to miss this guy it's going to be a great night out. If you're always wondering where do you take your, 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 your girlfriend, your wife, this is the place this weekend. Bring them here. He's going to knock your socks off. You can buy the tickets at the information booth. God bless you. Have a spectacular week in Jesus.